Glad you're here this morning. I'm honored to be here, and I bring you greetings from 14 miles down the road to our East Campus at Columbia Elementary. We had a great service there, and so uh, occasionally I get asked from time to time, like early in the service, uh, this first service, someone asked me, hey, how can we pray for East Campus? And I would just say this, since we are part of Cross Life, pray that God will continue to change lives, see souls saved, and reach our community with the good news of Jesus. So if you'll, if you'll pray that with us, would you just say Amen. Amen. All right. A little more enthusiastic. We got to get going, all right? A little more enthusiastic because I just believe that Jesus is worth celebrating. Don't you? And so anyway, we'll, we'll, you'll, you'll figure it out later. Here we go. So we're going to continue today in our series, Defining Moments. Now, as we continue in this series, one of the things I want us all to be aware of, one thing I want us to be on the same page with is this. Life is filled with moments, isn't it? Some of those moments are good moments. Like you remember when you got married, men? Was that a good moment for you? The answer is yes, in case you don't know. In fact, in the first service, we had a couple that today they were celebrating 50 years, and another couple across the aisle celebrating 52 years. And both those men go, yes, it was the best, one of the best moments in my life. See, some moments are good moments. Remember when you, if you had kids, that first moment, when you had that, when you, your first child, I mean, that was a great moment. But then some moments aren't so good, like a loss of a job. Loss of a family member, maybe cancer. I mean, there's some moments that are great moments, and then there's some moments that are terrible moments. And here's the thing about moments. Sometimes you see moments coming down the pike, and you know what's happening. Other times, you have no idea the moment's coming, and it just hits you like a train, doesn't it? Now, I want to say something to you because I want you to hear me say it. This is so pivotal for us, and it's this. Moments don't define you. Cancer doesn't define you. A divorce doesn't define you. A rebellious child doesn't define you. Listen to me. How we respond to those moments, that is what defines and shapes the trajectory of our lives. That is the truth we need to know today. The moments don't define me, but how I respond, whether it's with a lack of faith or whether it's with a great deal of faith, that shapes and defines the trajectory of my life and your life. Now, here's one thing I know about all of us. You're here today because you, you chose to be here today. And wherever you find yourself today spiritually, you didn't happen by accident. If you're walking closely with the Lord today, did it happen just because it just happened? Or did you have to put effort into it? Or if you're here today and you're not walking closely with the Lord, it didn't happen by accident. See, the reason we're at where we're at today spiritually is a direct Re, uh, kind of a, a direct reflection of how we responded to those moments in our lives. And I'll be honest to tell you, there's been times in my life I responded with great faith and man, God did some great things in my life. And there's some moments in my life I didn't respond very well. And it also reflected into my life. And what I want us to know before we move on is this. Moments don't define us. How we respond defines and shapes the trajectory of our lives. Now, over the last several weeks, we've seen pretty amazing moments, haven't we? We saw a moment with Peter when we first started the series where Peter is on the boat and the boat's kind of getting beat up by the storm and, and Jesus shows up and they think it's a ghost and, and, and Peter says, hey, Jesus, I wanna be with you. And Jesus does this great thing, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat, which I would have loved to have been there when that moment happened. I can just imagine the other 11 disciples going, dum, da da dum, dum, right? But Peter gets out of the boat. What a great moment. I mean, you think that was a great moment for him? 
Sure it was. And his response was faith. And, and that shaped and defined his life. Now, I know some of you critics or skeptics out there going, yeah, Doug, but four verses later, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he falls. Right? Yeah, you're right. And do you think that moment shaped his life too? Yes, it did. And so we've seen a lot of great moments. We saw a moment a couple of weeks ago, a moment where Jesus challenged the religious leaders. The religious leaders had come to the people, these crowds, and said, listen, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be pure before God, you need to be a participant in man-made traditions, which in this story was about ceremonial cleaning their hands. They were mad at Jesus because the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. Now, it had nothing to do with hygiene, but it had everything to do with keeping man-made traditions. And Jesus says, listen, you're wrong What makes us pure before God is not keeping man-made traditions. It's the condition of our heart. And the crowd was left with a moment. How are they going to respond? Are they going to listen to the Pharisees and religious leaders and and, kind of say, I'm going to spend my life doing all these man-made traditions so that somehow I might be all right with God? Or am I going to listen to the words of Jesus and I'm going to check the condition of my heart? They had a moment. They had to respond. And then last week we saw a great moment. The Canaanite woman. The faith of a king. I love that story because the thing about it is she had a moment. You remember what that moment was? She had a daughter oppressed by demons. Do you remember that? If you remember that, say, I got you. Okay, I, I'm, you got to be with me this morning, all right? What a moment. Now, here's the thing about that. I'm just going to guess that for many of us in this room today, we've never had a demon-possessed child. You may think you have one. And if you do, Tim Dix would love to talk to you about them, right? But you don't. So this lady has a moment where her child is oppressed by a demon. And here's the question. What does she do in that moment? The Bible is clear that she's a Canaanite woman, which means this. She's a pagan. She worships an idol. And in that moment, she turns from idolatry and she turns to Jesus. The only one that can answer and deal with the issue. And at the very end of the passage, you remember this? When Jesus says, your woman, your faith is great. Twice in the Gospels, Jesus complimented the faith of people that were not part of the nation of Israel. What a moment. She comes to Jesus and Jesus meets her there. There's another moment in Matthew chapter 16, just before the story we're going to read today. A moment where Peter is there and the disciples are there with Jesus and Jesus kind of pauses from all that's going on and he asks them a very powerful question. He said, who do men say that I am? Hey guys, what's the word on the street about me? And they all respond and they think you're this, they think you're that. And then Jesus asks a very specific question. He says, but who do you say that I am? Hey, not about the world. What about you? And then we know Peter, right? Peter, out of all the disciples, he pipes up again and goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, right? What a great moment. Now, once again, two or three verses later, Jesus talks about his life and his death and Peter rebukes him and Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. That's just who Peter was. Moments of great faith and moments of, of sheer stupidity where he would say things. My point is this, there are moments that happen and how we respond to those moments define and shape our lives. And I believe with all of my heart today, the moment we're gonna look at may be outside of the cross and the resurrection, may be one of the most powerful moments 
in all of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Chapter 16, and I'm again reading verse 24. And I know you just got seated, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Would you do that? Everybody stand with me real quick. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his very soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, as you look at the passage there, I love this passage, and here's why. I feel like this passage is the sum total of everything we've experienced in Matthew's gospel thus far. Here's what I mean. He's addressing the disciples, but one thing we know about Jesus was wherever Jesus went, what followed him besides disciples? A crowd, right? I mean, over and over and over again, there was even times Jesus tried to withdraw to get away and the crowd just always showed up. So guess what he did? He fed 5,000 people. Why? Because the crowd showed up. Later, like two chapters later, just in Matthew, early Matthew 16, he feeds 4,000, two different stories, and he feeds all these people. Why? Because the crowd show up. So while he's addressing the disciples, most scholars would say there's still a crowd present there. And so this is kind of like the sum total of everything we've experienced. In this crowd are people who probably heard the amazing teachings of Jesus. There are people in this crowd that have seen Jesus do miraculous things. And there's probably people in this crowd that have seen people respond out of faith and seen people respond with a lack of faith. But here's the reason this passage is so beautiful. Because this passage is not about anybody else. It's about them. It's about them making a decision in that moment and how would they respond to Jesus. Now, I love this story because the very first word Jesus uses is the word if. Now, Jesus tells them, if you're going to follow me, here's what's required of you. If you're going to be my disciple, this is what I expect of you. And he begins it with the word if in verse 24. Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me. In my Bible, I have the word if underlined. I encourage you to underline it. The reason I love that word is because it's a word of condition. Like if you tell your kids, if you mow the yard, then this is going to happen, right? It's a conditional word. And in this passage, if implies a couple of things. One thing that if implies is this. It implies an intentional decision. It implies that there's going to be a moment you're going to make an intentional decision whether you're going to or not going to follow me. It's not about good intentions. It's about a decisive decision. And what are you going to do about it? If also implies some are going to follow him and some aren't going to follow him. One of the things that breaks my heart in scripture is that you see over and over and over again times when people would come to Jesus and make these great declarations that they are going to follow him and they're going to live for him and then Jesus tells them what's required of them and then they don't show up anymore. In fact, in one of the gospels, three stories back to back to back, one guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, great. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. 
Obviously, this, he wasn't saying we couldn't have money. That wasn't Jesus' point. But obviously, money was this guy's idol. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, it's about me first and nobody else and nothing else. So go sell everything and then come follow me. And you know what we know about this guy? Nothing. He walks away. We never hear of him again. And then on the heels of that is another story. A guy comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but my dad's about to die. You know, I've got, I've got to go bury my dead father. And that was an expression in that day that said, basically, my dad is at the point where he's going to die anytime. Let me go and collect my inheritance, and then I will come follow you. And Jesus simply says this, let the dead bury the dead. Meaning, if you're going to follow me, it's about a right now moment. It's not about down the road. It's not about tomorrow. It's not about next week. It's not about next month. If you're going to follow me, it's about right now. And you know what the guy does? He walks away. And then there's a, the last guy that comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want to follow you, but let me say go, by, go, go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said this, no man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit to be my disciple. Meaning if you're going to follow me, it's about being all in. It's not about going back and looking back. It's about right now committing to be all in. See, when Jesus says the word if, the implication is they're going to be those who just say, no thanks. In fact, I'm going to go as far as say this. There are going to be some of you today who don't know Christ. Then when we're done with this message, you're going to be compelled by the message. But at the end of the day, and you're going to be compelled by the words of Jesus. But at the end of the day, you're going to go, no thank you. And then there may be some of you here today that don't know Christ, that you're going to hear what Jesus has to say and say, I want that. And then there may be some of us here today that are believers that are going to look at the words of Jesus and feel great conviction over the areas where you're falling short and go, I need to recommit myself because that's what it required to follow Jesus. And I need to live up to what Jesus asked of me. See, Jesus used this word if, and he says, if you are going to follow me, if any man wants to come after me, there's three things that are required. And I want you to write these down. The first one, found in verse 24, actually all three, found in verse 24, says this. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. First thing he says is we must deny self. Listen, if we're going to follow Jesus, it begins with denying self. Now, I've been in church a long time. I'm 46 years old. Cannot remember the time I wasn't in church. And I've heard this passage preached on a ton of times. And the one thing that I've always wrestled with at the end of the message was, okay, I understand what you're saying. I know I got to deny, I got to do this, I got to do that. But I need some real handles. What does it look like to deny myself? What does it look like to take up my cross? What does it look like to, I mean, what does it look like to do what Jesus is saying? So I want to unpack what it looks like to do what Jesus is talking about. Because the word deny in the original Greek language means to disown or to separate ourselves completely from. The word deny means to completely disown and separate ourselves from. Probably the best example I could give you is Peter when he denied Jesus. Do you remember that story? Remember the story where he cut the guard's ear off and Jesus kind of picked the ear up and go, whoop, there it goes, super glue. I mean, kind of Holy Spirit glued it right back on and it was great. Wouldn't you love to have been there for that moment, right? And so then they take Jesus and they go and they, they've arrested him and, and Peter follows and Peter's in the courtyard and three times, People come up and basically say, don't you know him? Aren't you with him? Don't you love this guy? Any part of your team? And three times Peter says, I don't know him. 
I don't know what you're talking about. I know nothing of him. Three times Peter denies Jesus. What was he doing? By denying Jesus, he was disowning and separating himself from the Lord. Why? Because he was thinking, if that's what awaits me, I don't have anything to do with that. Here's my point. That's the same kind of denial that we need to have toward ourselves. If we're gonna deny self, please write this down. Two things we need to do. Number one, we need to disown the desires of our old nature. You know why? Because our old nature is driven by self-centeredness and self-indulgence. How many of you, when you were a teenager, no offense to teenagers, because we all were one at some point, we didn't skip those years, but when you were a teenager, how many of you, by show of hands, and if you don't raise your hand, I'm just gonna pause dramatically and wait till you do raise your hand, because I don't mind to wait, because this is the third service, so I can just go as long as I'm just kidding. So, how many of you, when you were a teenager, felt like the world revolved around you, or at least acted like it? Okay. Yeah, and for those of you who are lying, you can repent at the end of the service, because I think most of us do. Life's all about us. The world revolves around us. The world revolves around what we want, what we think, how we want to act. I mean, it just revolves around us. And listen, if we're going to deny self, it begins with us disowning the desires of the old nature that is driven by self-centeredness and is driven by self-indulgence. Self-indulgence is just simply saying, I want it, I'm going to go get it. I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what people think. I don't care about taking responsibility. I don't care about the consequences. I want it, and I'm going to have it. Why? Because I deserve it. Can we agree that we live in a world that's loaded with a sense of entitlement? We do. And if we're going to deny self, it begins with us disowning the desires of the old nature that's driven by self-centeredness and self-indulgence. And we must, secondly, separate ourselves from the philosophies of the old self. We must disown the desires of the old nature, but we must separate ourselves from the philosophies of the old nature. Let me give you two philosophies I think run rampant, and I think even as believers, we wrestle with sometimes. Here's the first one, independence. We have this real sense that we don't need anybody else, that we can do life on our own, and we got this. Now, my dad, who went to be with the Lord three years ago, was 6'4 and 270. So he was a man's man. I mean, he was a big old boy, right? Now, what I'm about to, the story I'm about to share with you is pre my dad getting serious about his faith in Christ. I mean, the moment my dad really got serious about his faith in Christ, he would read his Bible for hours and hours. And he would say, Doug, I've got questions. Would you come answer questions? And I would go, and it was a legal pad, and he had page after page after page after page of questions. I'm like, Dad, why are you reading your Bible like five and six hours a day? And here's what he said to me. He said, son, I'm just making up for lost time. Making up for all the years. Now, before my dad got serious about Christ, he worked on the railroad and the vocabulary of a railroader. And he had the sensitivity of a piece of wood. <laughs> and I can remember as a kid, and you probably remember this, if you're, if you're my generation, my dad would look at me. If I came home from school, something happened, I had the sniffles, you know, like I was gonna cry and then cry, but, or maybe I was crying. My dad would look at me and say something like this, boy, you stop that crying or I'm gonna give you a reason to cry. Anybody have a dad like that? Yeah. Sorry for us, right? And here's the thing about that, when you think about that, what he was saying was, hey, suck it up, man. 
Because if there was any part of me that had this sense of I need something or I can't be independent or I'm dependent on something else, it was viewed as weak. And listen, that's a philosophy the devil wants us to buy into, that we don't need God. We can handle things on our own. Here's what I want to tell you. The central truth of the gospel is we are wretched, we are pitiful, we are broken, and we are in desperate need of him. That's the truth of the gospel, right? Now, the other philosophy is this. I must do so that I can be. Meaning, I must work so somehow I can earn favor with God. It's a work salvation idea. And I'm just going to tell you, the more I study the truth of the gospel, here's what I'm reminded. That on my best day, in my best clothes, with my best attitude, I will never earn the favor of God. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, so that no man can boast. That's it. And if we're going to deny self, we must disown the desires of the old nature, and we must separate ourselves from philosophies of the old self. And if you think about it, isn't that what you did when you came to faith in Christ? When you said yes to Jesus, did you not disown that old self, and did you not separate yourself from your sin, and did you not turn and yield your life to Christ and beg for his forgiveness and receive his grace? Isn't that the decision you made when you came to Christ, that you truly denied yourself and said yes to Jesus? Isn't that the decision you made? Sure it is. Well, if it's a decision that is required of us in salvation, isn't it the same thing required of us if we're going to follow him every day? Absolutely. Here's the thing I think we all wrestle with, if you're a believer. We want to follow Jesus, but we don't want to deny self. Come on, you know I'm right. Because we're all sinful, and we all struggle. I want to follow you, but if i got to give up that, I'm not sure. If i got to give up my pursuits, See, one thing I've learned a long time ago is when I surrender my life to Christ and I humble myself for the Lord, here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, Lord, I put myself under your authority and I trade in my hopes, dreams, wishes, and desires, and I want your hopes, your dreams, your wishes, and your desires for me. And some of us need to make that exchange today. So we want to follow, but we're not sure we want to deny. Here's the truth. If we're going to follow Jesus, we must first deny self. Secondly, he says this. If any man will come after me, he must deny himself and take up our cross. Take up your cross. Now, if there's ever been a passage of Scripture that I think believers have made any more complicated, it's this passage of Scripture. And not only we make it complicated, we make it say something it doesn't even say. Like I was in a men's group about 10 years ago. And I had this group of men that I was with, and, and we were just, what we did in our men's group was we would we'd talk and pray, we'd study the Bible, and then we would say, hey, how can we pray for one another? And then we'd pray at the end. And there was this one guy across the table goes, I need you to pray for me. He said, I've got a family member who is, is really in rebellion, and one of them talked about their daughter, and, and so there were just like some real things going on there. And the next person said, why don't you pray for me? And now listen, I'm not saying this. He said this, okay, just so you know, right? He said, I've got a wife that is nagging me to death. Now, husbands, don't crack a smile. Just look straight forward. Don't acknowledge I said it. Just look at me. You're okay. If you smirk, you're dead, all right? So, and then the other guy named Steve heard these guys sharing about, you know, I've got this family member, this daughter, and then, then I've got this wife that nags me to death. And here's exactly what Steve said. Well, you know what Jesus said? We all got to take up our cross. So I guess that's just the cross you have to bear. And I go, no, 
A nagging wife is not across the bear. A rebellious child is not across the bear. Steve, you've missed it. See, listen to me. The cross is a picture of death. It's a picture of death. And the cross is a picture of the price that Jesus paid for us. And so when he says, take up your cross, the same idea holds true for us. Taking up our cross means two things. Write them down. Number one, it is a willingness to pay any price to obey my Savior. It's a willingness to pay any price to obey my Savior. And do we have that willingness in us? Do you really? So, so if, if, if God told you to just obey him and do what he said and go, like he told Abraham. You remember the story of Abraham, right? He said, hey, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I got a land for you. All right, how do I get there? Just I'll let you know when you get there. How many of you want summer vacation to look like that one, Right? But do we have that willingness to say, Lord, whatever it costs me to follow you, I'm giving it in. If it costs me my job, because my job is asking me to do some shady things and to be morally on the line, and I don't want to do that, I want to represent Christ well. I mean, if that's what it takes, are we willing to pay the price? See, taking up our cross is a willingness to pay any price to obey my Savior. Secondly, taking up our cross is a readiness to endure shame, to endure rejection, to endure persecution because of him. I don't know about you, but in my life, there have been times I've tried to skirt shame. I've tried to skirt around and work around persecution. And I just want you to hear my heart for a moment. To take up our cross means this, that there needs to be some believers that say, I'm gonna stand on the truth of this word, that this word is right and it is true, and I'm going to be willing that no matter what comes my way, no matter what price I have to pay, to honor the Lord and to keep the commandments and to be, obey the truth of this word, that I'm willing no matter what the price is, and I'm ready for any persecution, I'm ready for any rejection, I am ready because I am called to be salt and light in a dark and a broken world. And there's some of us today that need to take up our cross. See, I believe with all of my heart, this requirement that Jesus gives is kind of that moment and it's a point of separation. See, I believe this point, this requirement that Jesus gives separates pretenders from real followers. Now, I want you to hear me. Pretenders want a faith that costs nothing, right? Pretenders want to be a fan of Jesus and a fan of the world, but don't want to commit to either one. A true follower of Christ is someone who says, my life is not my own, Galatians 2.20, for I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live that Christ that lives in me and the life I live by the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. That's what it means to say, as a follower, I'm gonna take up the cross and no matter what comes my way, Lord, I'm gonna live for you, no matter what. No matter what price I have to pay, no matter what persecution comes, Lord, I'm okay with saying, it is well with my soul. Here's the deal, if we're gonna live for Jesus, if we're really gonna live for him, there's gonna be a price. Students, there are gonna be people that don't wanna be your friends. Can I tell you what really hurts? Can I, I was in student ministry for, for almost 20 years. Can I tell you what really hurts students? 
is when it's not just the outside of the people don't want to be your friends because you love Jesus. It's when people in the church don't want to be your friends because love, you love Jesus. Are you willing to pay that price? Adults, what about us? Are we willing to pay that price? See, if we're going to take up our cross, we have to have a willingness and a readiness to pay whatever price necessary. Because if we love him and live for him, there's going to be a price. But are we willing and are we ready? Last thing I want you to know is this. Verse 24. If any man would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and what? Follow who? Follow me. Follow him. Follow Jesus. Now, I love the order of what we're told here. I love the order of what Jesus says because he reminds us that if we're truly going to follow him, it begins with denying self. We can't follow Jesus if we don't deny self. And once we deny ourselves, we have to take up our cross. We can't follow Jesus if we're not taking up our cross. It's only after we deny self and take up our cross are we truly ready and fit to follow Jesus. That's it. See, when we follow him, see, following Jesus is about living a life of total obedience to him. Every day denying, every day taking up my cross, every day pursuing him, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day coming after him. Now, if you're like me, and many of you may be, when I read a story like this, I mean, it's true. And you've heard this. This is not new to you. Many of you that grew up in church, if we're going to follow Jesus, we must deny self. We must take up our cross. We have to follow him. But here's a question I think sometimes we don't ask. What's at stake if I don't? Why is this moment for this people and these disciples so crucial? Why is Jesus wanting them to decide it's such a big deal for them? Well, look what Jesus says in verse 25 and 26. He tells us why. He says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his very soul? Here's what Jesus is saying. Okay, here's what's at stake. You choose the world now, and you choose to pursue the things of the world, and one day, you're going to forfeit your very soul. But if you choose to forsake the world now, and surrender your life to me, there's going to be eternal reward. You're going to gain your life. And then Jesus says, listen, at the end of the day, if you had all the riches and all the wealth, all the popularity, all the prestige of the world, at the end of the day, is it any value to you if you still are going to leave your soul, lose your soul, and spend eternity separated from Christ? And then Jesus adds a, le a level of intensity to this at the very end. Look at verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. In other words, in other words, there's going to come a day of reckoning, a day coming where every single one of us would stand before a holy God and give an account to how we responded to this moment, how we responded to who Jesus is and if we really want to follow him or not. So when we ask ourselves what's at stake, why is this moment so crucial? Here's why. Because eternity hangs in the balance. You think about that? Eternity hangs in the balance. So here's my question for us today. How will we respond to this moment? How will you respond? Honestly, how, think about it. Because here's the worst thing, all right? 
The worst thing is, you, you know, you may look at today and go, man, that was, you know, that was, that was a great service. And, you know, he even hit the, the podium a couple times. I kind of like that. And, and you walk out and you eat lunch. It was a great day. But nothing changes in you. Well, listen, you just wasted your time. There's a moment when we're confronted with the truth of Scripture that we have to go, how would I respond to Jesus and how am I responding to Jesus? The truth is this, if I want to follow him, here's what's required of me. How am I going to respond to that? Because how we respond will define and shape the trajectory of this life, but listen to me, but also the life to come. So how will you respond? How will you respond? There's some of you in the room today that you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, and here's my challenge for you, that you would respond in faith, that you would acknowledge that you're a sinner, and you would give your life to Christ. And then there's some of us in the room today, just please look at me real quick because this is so important. There's some of us in the room today that are believers, and as we look at what Jesus said, and we kind of get the handles on what it means to deny, and we get the handles on what it means to take up our cross, and we get the handles on what it means to follow and pursue him, there's some of us as believers that we would be honest and say this, I'm struggling. I'm not denying like I should be. My flesh is winning. Or I'm not really taking up my cross because I'm just scared to death if I stand for Christ what people are going to say. And we're struggling. And consequently, we would say I'm struggling because I'm not really following him the way I should. Can I make a challenge to you today? If that's you, this altar is going to be open. And if you're really wrestling with those things today, my challenge for you is to find yourself on your knees before a holy God and confessing where you struggle, confessing where you fail, and then recommitting yourself, saying, Lord, today I'm committing to be all in. Today I'm committing to, to, to deny myself. I'm gonna disown the desires of the old flesh. Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna separate myself from the philosophies of the old flesh. I'm gonna deny myself. Lord, I'm gonna take up my cross I'm going to be willing and ready to make you so known and to live for you so passionately that when persecution comes my way, it's going to be okay with me because I know it's making you known to the world. I'm okay with that, Lord. And Lord, today, I'm all in and I'm going to follow you with every fiber of my being. So some of us, honestly, need to find ourselves right here, somewhere on this altar, recommitting ourselves to the Lord. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.